Welcome back to Disturbed State. This is episode number six, and it is on Charles Morgan. This is an Arizona case from 1977. And let me tell you, it is crazy. I decided to scrap the other episode that I had already recorded because it just wasn't good. And there was input from Maggie, my pit bull. She decided to come in and record with me today. Now, before we get into his case, I just want to do a little housekeeping. Now, I know that (laughs) Maggie, this case, or I'm sorry, this podcast is not as well known and I'd like to get it out there. So if you could go rate and review on Apple, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcast. I would highly appreciate it. It'll help get the show out there. Even if you want to just give a five star and tell me if you prefer Chicago or New York style pizza. I don't care. It's not for me. It's mostly just to get the name out there. If you want to co-host an episode, you can do that. All you have to do is email me at disturbstatepod at gmail.com and tell me where you want to, if there's a specific state or a specific case that you want to cover. Right now I'm still working on Arizona, so if there's a case that you want to hear, let me know. I will gladly take a look at it. You can find the podcast on Facebook, which I'm going to be creating a discussion group as soon as I get this uploaded. And I'm on Instagram, which I use primarily just because it's easier And I'm also on Twitter. Oh, and before I forget, I also have stickers, magnets, and cards available. If you want them, just send an email to disturbstatepod at gmail.com with your name and address, and I will gladly send those out to you. Also, I want to give a huge shout out to Wendy at Oh My Gaia. She creates the absolute best deodorant I have ever used. No lie. And I'm going to take the shack approach here. I will never advertise anything on this podcast that I do not believe in or have not used personally myself. I went and she had a special for three jars and it was perfect because I got three different scents and I fell in love with all of them instantly. I personally got the sweet pea, the cherry almond, and the unscented because my husband doesn't like all the girly scents, but they do have more like manly scents. And she sent a nice little note with it. Now, my daughter has an autoimmune disease and legit no other deodorant has been able to keep the stank away off that child. (laughs) And her deodorants are aluminum and paraben free. And This might be a little bit TMI, but because of the butter-based deodorant that it is, my pits have legit never been softer. It's amazing. Go check out Oh My Gaia. It's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com and go give her some business. She is absolutely the sweetest and she's got a ton of sense. I actually found this from True Crime Guys 
and they had been saying how much they loved it and they used it. So I said, what the hell, I'll try it. It is perfect. I will never buy deodorant again other than from Wendy because it, it's just, it's that good. Okay, so getting into Charles Morgan, he was an, he had his own escrow business and he was 39 years old when he had passed away. This case is just crazy, crazy. If you could only, what I wouldn't give to know what was actually going on through this guy's head. When I was looking up information for this case, I found that Unsolved Mysteries had actually done an episode of it, and it aired February 7th, 1990. This case is still unsolved. Evidently, Charles, who will We'll call him Chuck from now on just because that's what he was referred to. That was his nickname. So Chuck had been involved in some heavy money laundering activities through his escrow company. He was involved, also involved in some large gold and platinum transactions from 1973 until he passed away in 1977. There were quite a bit of payoffs from these transactions. Unfortunately, Chuck's widow, Ruth, had has since passed away, and she passed away in 2006. So she passed away not knowing what actually happened to her husband. At one point, Chuck had mentioned to Ruth that there was some money laundering going on, but that he wasn't involved with it. And that the less that her and the kids knew about it, it, the better it was for them. So there's a giant theory here that he was involved with a very well-known crime boss and that that crime boss had something to do with it. Now, apparently, Chuck had kept duplicate records of all the illegal transactions that had gone on. And Don Devereaux, who investigated the case, believes that he was killed because he still had all these records of all this illegal activity, which wouldn't be surprising if he actually did. He did a lot of escrow. Chuck, no, I'm talking about Chuck here had did a lot of real estate escrow work for at least one mafia company. Company, Jesus, family. (laughs) Now, what started off like any normal day, he was taking his two daughters to school and was going to go to work. Normal, right? Well, after he dropped his two girls off at school, he up and vanished for three days. No notes, no phone calls, no indication that anything was wrong. His wife had no idea. The kids had no idea. So immediately they were alarmed. Obviously. He, after three days, he returned home. 
At that point, when he returned home, he was missing a shoe, had a plastic handcuff around one ankle, and his hands were tied together with a plastic zip tie. He couldn't speak, but he did manage to write down with a pen and paper that he had been kidnapped and tortured. He also had told his wife in writing that he had also claimed to his wife when he was writing that a hallucinogenic drug had been painted on his throat. <laughs> I know, Maggie, right? But it's not out of the realm of possibility. He claimed that this drug would drive him insane or kill him if he ingested it. I have no idea what it was. I was unable to find what that drug was. But I maybe one day we will know what it was. He had asked his wife to move his car because he didn't want, and quote unquote, them, assuming he's talking about his kidnappers, to know that he had come home. He would not, for anything, tell his wife who they were. He would not allow her to call the police as he feared for his family. Okay, that's this sounds more like a mafia thing to me. It took Ruth about a week to get Chuck back to health, feeding him with an eyedropper before his voice returned. He, at that point, kind of started to hint at there being, or about him having a secret identity. Okay. I know that it's not uncommon for people to have secret identities, but who the hell has a secret identity in Tucson, Arizona, running an escrow business, working for the mafia? That is just crazy to me. But nonetheless, now the okay. The secret identity that he had claimed that he was keeping from them was that he was working as an agent for the federal government and that he fought against organized crime. Okay, I can see it. I can see it. You know, he's been working closely with the mafia family, so all right, I'll buy it. He had also made claims that they had taken his treasury identification. Okay, so he was working as a treasury agent with these mafia. Okay, well, this is all starting. It makes sense. It's not completely out of the realm of reality. And so he became super, super paranoid. Who knows if that has anything to do with the drug that he was given or what. But he, he really started wearing a bulletproof vest. Driving, even driving his daughters to and from school, he was wearing a bulletproof vest. And he had told the school that nobody else would be allowed to pick up the kids. Okay, paranoid parent, 
I get to be the same way sometimes with my kids, especially in light of all the missing children that have been happening around here lately in upstate New York. And it's unfortunately, there's been a rash of them. Anyway, two months after he came home, now this is after his little three-day stint of disappearing, he vanished again. There was no sign of him, no nothing. And shortly before he had disappeared again, he had told his father that if anything were to happen to him, he had written a letter to tell them who was behind everything. There was no letter that was ever found. But nine days after the second disappearance, an unidentified woman named Ruth, nine days after he after his second disappearance, an unidentified woman had called his wife, Ruth, and said, Chuck is all right. Okay, and I'm going to butcher this because I am not a Bible person. And I'll just spell it out so you guys maybe know. Is E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A-S-T-I-C-S 12-1-8. Because I would have completely butchered that. Terrible. That Bible reference, part of that Bible reference states, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Okay, that shit's eerie. All right. Ugh. Two days after that call was received, Chuck was found shot to death in the desert, even though he is wearing a bulletproof vest. He had been shot in the back of the head with a 357 Magnum, which was laying beside him. Now, also in the car, police had found a note that had directions to the crime scene written in his handwriting. But also in the car, they found a pair of sunglasses that didn't belong to him. Okay, and this is really weird. He had, Chuck had a clipped $2 bill inside of his underwear. Written on this bill were seven Spanish names from the letters A to G. Also, that Bible verse name was written with verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn on the bill's serial number. Oh my God, I can see so many conspiracy theorists just beaming out of that. Oh my God. That Bible verse was also in reference to the call that Ruth had received. Now on the back of that $2 bill, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were numbered one through seven. And a crude map was drawn which showed several roads between Tucson and the Mexican border. All right. So does this maybe have anything to do with the, with the Mexican mafia, maybe? 
the towns of Robles Junction and Sasabe, I don't know, S-A-S-A-B-E, were marked, and these towns were apparently known for smuggling. Sounds like Chuck was in some deep shit. Some deep shit. Two days after Chuck's death, an anonymous woman spoke to an officer at the Pima County Sheriff's Department on the phone. She had claimed that he was supposed to meet her at a local motel before, shortly before he had died. She claimed that her nickname was Green Eyes. She made claims that at the motel, Chuck had showed her a briefcase with several thousand dollars in cash. And apparently this money would buy him out of a gang contract that had been put on his life. Somehow, some way, the police ruled his death a suicide. What the fuck? How in the blue hell is he going to shoot himself in the back of the head with a 357 Magnum? That just doesn't make any sense to me no sense. There was a porter named Don Devereaux who believed he was murdered. And there were some investigators that had suspicions that his death was also not a suicide. I just cannot fathom how they figured out that this was a suicide. Maybe they, those cops that were, that ruled it a suicide were in on it. That's the only logical explanation that I could come up with. Now, three weeks after Chuck's death, there were two men that had claimed to be FBI agents arrived to Ruth Morgan's home. And they had told Ruth that they needed to go through the house. And just these two, they came with no warrant, no nothing, but Ruth let him hunt the house anyway, and they tore the house apart. It took quite a while. She never was able to figure out if they found anything or not, or if they were even FBI agents, because she never asked for credentials. When the reporter, Don Devereaux, who was suspicious about Morgan's death, contacted the FBI, FBI had never heard of Chuck Morgan. Okay, so that right there tells me they were just part of whatever shit that Chuck had gotten himself into. There are a lot of rumors that went around about Chuck. Some believed he was involved with the mafia dealings. His wife didn't know if she was supposed to believe that he was working against the organized crime, who knows? It's just beyond bizarre. Having researched a few cases from Arizona, I do have to say their criminal justice system, not great. Not great. There is, there seems to be, I can't say there is, there seems to be a lot of cover-ups. And a lot of cops and higher-ups that maybe have been paid off. 
there was a former New York Don named Joseph Bonanno and more than 500 racketeers that had moved to Tucson during the 1970s because the weather was better. And let's face it, New York weather freaking blows. The winters are horrible. So I don't blame them. But in Arizona, you can buy land through numbered blind trust accounts. So there's minimal paperwork that has to be done. There are not a whole lot of checks to be had as far as identity and transfers of land from one person to another. So this would allow them to remain anonymous. And at that point, they could launder money through that blind trust. Chuck did do real estate escrow for Chuck did do real estate escrow work for Bonanno's mafia family. We're assuming that it had to do with this whole thing. Now, I shouldn't say we're assuming. I'm assuming that it had to do with his death because there's no way in hell that it couldn't. It's, there's just too much crazy to be had. Being as this case is still unresolved, it's not surprising because of all the mafia connections, and you don't want to fuck with the mafia, ever. Three months after the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired, so we're looking at May of 1990. There was a gentleman named Doug Johnston who was found shot to death in his car outside of the Phoenix office he worked at, which it was across the street from Don Devereaux's office. They drove an almost identical car. So Don Devereaux believes that that was supposed to be him instead of Doug. A year after Doug's murder, Don Devereaux was contacted by a writer from D.C. named Danny Casolaro. Shock, not shockingly, Danny died suspiciously before Don Devereaux had received any information. Unfortunately, like I said, Ruth Morgan had died in 2006. Also in Chuck's car, the Pima County Sheriff's Office found a cache of ammunition, several weapons, CB radios, and one of Chuck Morgan's teeth wrapped in a handkerchief. At that, what? the hell at the time of chuck's death the pima county sheriff's department had believed that he'd been hiding at a west side motel for more than a week before he died because he was trying to pull off enough cash to buy off the contract that was in his wife or 
It's believed that he was trying to pull together enough cash to buy off the contract on his life. I almost forgot to do the weird loss segment that I'm going to start doing every week and putting in each episode. I know we're on Arizona, but each episode I'm going to do some dumb, crazy, disturbing laws. I'm going to tell you about these so you can laugh as much as I have looking at some of these I really want to know the context or how some of these came about because I just need to know these things because I'm nosy. But for this episode, I'm going to do Alaska. Next episode, I'm going to do Alabama. And then for the following episode, I will do Arizona. And then we will be all caught up. So here we go. Now in Anchorage, Alaska. Now I'm just going to do summaries of these laws. I'm not going to read the whole laws. No one may tie their pet dog to the roof of a car. What the fuck? Why? Uh. Now, it is also illegal in Anchorage to string a wire across any road. (sighs) I got nothing. Now, this one, I really want to know how this one happened. A person's may not live in a trailer as it is being hauled across the city. I mean, I guess that's one way of being efficient in moving. Fairbanks. This one is one of my favorites. It is considered an offense to feed alcoholic beverages to a moose. I would think that this would be a Canadian law, but no, a little bit of Canada has leaked into Alaska, evidently, and I don't know who's getting the moose, the meese moose, I'm not sure, drunk, but it's probably a bad idea. Now in Haines, Alaska, a person may only carry a concealed slingshot if that person has received an appropriate license. I was unaware that there were slingshot licenses, but evidently there is. Also in Haines, it is against the law to attempt to break any law in the Title IX of the Code, which is public peace, morals, and welfare. I kind of figured that would go without saying. Also, another one that's kind of common sense, but evidently needed to be put into law is employers of bars may not let their bartenders serve while they are drunk themselves. Thanks, Maggie, for adding that. In Juneau, owners of flamingos may not let their pet into barbershops. That's how I feel about that, too. What about those flamingos that need haircuts or feather cuts? Buildings that preserve scenic vistas are awarded bonus points by the government. What the fuck is a bonus point awarded by the government? (laughs) I just, I, I got nothing. In Nome, one may not roam the city with bow and arrows. 
okay, I can see why that would be a bad idea. And and I think it's Soldotna, S-O-L-D-O-T-N-A. The summary is, persons may not allow attractive nuisances to exist. So basically, it's saying that really any objects that will attract a bear, like garbage, they cannot have it out. An attractive nuisance to me would be like a pool, a trampoline, things like that. So I got to kind of wonder, are there bears in pools and trampolines? But I don't think there would be pools in Alaska because of how cold it gets. But I, I kind of want to see a bear on a trampoline. So that's going to do it for this portion. Next week we will do Alabama. And I haven't looked at them yet, so I can't wait to see what those are going to be. Because it's Alabama and they do some backward shit. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed this portion. And stay tuned for the Yours and Murder promo. That case is just crazy. Some normal guy living his life. And then all of a sudden he disappears, comes home, and then he disappears again. And all these claims were made in the meantime. It's just completely baffling to me how this happens. Now, before before I end this episode, I'm just going to say that before I end this episode, I'm going to put in a promo for another podcast that I adore and I love when their stuff comes out. It's called Yours and Murder. I adore them. Another podcast, if you love sports, there is actually several under this particular company. It's called My Garage Bar. They have a football podcast. They have a hockey podcast. They have a toy podcast. They have a local music scene podcast. These guys are fantastic. And eventually I will be on the hockey one called All Pucked Up sporadically here and there, hopefully, what we've been talking about. So here is the promo for Yours on Murder and enjoy. What do you want in a true crime podcast? Do you want well researched material, but an easy to follow format? Do you want a bit of dark humor, but want sensitive topics handled, well, sensitively? Do you want hosts who are lactose intolerant, but eat macaroni and cheese anyway? Well, I think you might be looking for us. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca, and we're the hosts of the true crime podcast, Yours in Murder. And this isn't any old true crime podcast. I have a background in forensic science. And I have a background in journalism, so we're able to combine our knowledge and bring you interesting new perspectives on cases. Not that we're all serious. We have a bit of a dark sense of humor. Just a bit. I mean, we like morbid jokes and cat jokes. Lots of cat jokes. So if you're looking for something new and a bit out of the ordinary, check out Yours in Murder. You can find us on all of your favorite podcatchers as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. 
You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter or check out our website at yoursandmurder.net. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, we are Yours and Murder. Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode. I will have another one out from Arizona next week. Again, if you want to co-host, have a case suggestion, or have a comment, if you want to tell me I suck, if you want to tell me what kind of pizza you like, email me. I'm always available. Email is disturbedstatepod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And as always, stay disturbed.